welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode 71, Urban Turkey Hunting with Scott Davis. I am your host and the guy that could never beat his college roommate Zach in a beer drinking or white powder donut eating contest. Yes, my college roommate, my dog, could drink more beer than me and eat more of those white powdered sugar donuts than me as well. And I'm not ashamed to admit it. Hey, we are 12 days, 8 hours, 21 minutes and 21 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. 12 days. Man, it has flown by. I appreciate you guys tuning in today. We have a great show that I'm really excited about. Before we get into that, I want to thank Josh Ray for taking time to go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and a review. And Josh says, five stars, turkey fever, great podcast, keep up the good work. Josh, thank you for taking the time to go into iTunes and leave that rating and review. It really helps others to be able to decide if they want to listen to the show, if they run across it in the iTunes listings. So that is much appreciated, Josh. You know, if you heard the past couple of episodes, you know that I was doing a turkey call giveaway with Pollard's Elite Game Calls. And the turkey call giveaway has ended, and we have a winner. So I'd like to congratulate Mike Scalgard from Utah for winning the turkey call giveaway. Mike, your call has shipped, so be expecting that here in the next week or so. And... I have a feeling that thing's going to bring in some Merriam's turkeys from a mile and a half away. So I definitely want you to send me some pictures of you with some deceased turkeys. Thank you everybody for registering for the call giveaway. This is something that I'm going to try to do a little bit more of in the future. So stay tuned for that and keep your eyes and ears open and tuned to Facebook and Twitter as well. Okay, I've been telling you guys for a while now that... I was having my website redesigned. Well, it's done. So I'd like to urge all of you to go to www.iamturkeyhunting.com. Take a look at the site. New and improved layout. The older podcasts are easier to find. And I'm in the process of separating the blog posts from the podcast as well. Right now they're kind of mixed in there together. But over the next week, I plan on separating those. 
And something else that's pretty cool is I've added a button on the page for you to ask a question for the podcast. And the button is on the left-hand side of the page. If you click there, you get the option of leaving a text or written question or recording an audio or video question to send to me as well. Now, if you send me an audio question, you just never know when that question may get played and answered on an upcoming show. So if you have a comment or a question about the show or any other turkey hunting related topic, or if you just want to pick my brain about something, please feel free to go to the website and ask a question or leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you guys. Okay, so let's get into today's show. You know, I ask you guys to send me show topic ideas from time to time, and I always enjoy getting those from you. And over the past couple of months, I have gotten some suggestions from you guys on doing a show about urban turkey hunting. So, given the amount of game that I see within a 10 to 15 minute drive to downtown Birmingham, and the number of news reports of wild turkey attacks in and around suburbs all over this country. I mean, all you have to do is go to YouTube and search wild turkey attacks, and there are hours of entertaining turkey attack videos. Some of the videos are wild turkeys and some of them are not, but the takeaway from all of those videos is this. Wild turkeys have moved into suburban areas, and suburban areas have moved into wild turkey habitat as well. So this means that there are lots of turkeys within a few minutes drive of most of the listeners of this show. Knowing this to be the case, I knew I wanted to do a show on urban turkey hunting, but I didn't know who to contact or bring on the show as an expert until I bumped into Scott Davis at the NWTF convention in Nashville. Scott lives and hunts in Nashville, Tennessee, and he has a local TV show that's on in that area called Urban Hunting TV. So I bumped into Scott at the NWTF convention and told him about the podcast after I asked him what he did. And when he told me that he was into urban hunting, I said, man, I really need to get you on a podcast episode to share your experience and your knowledge about urban turkey hunting with my listeners. So today, Scott is going to share some of his knowledge of not only how to hunt an urban piece of property, but also how to gain access to that piece of property. So listen in now as Scott shares some great info with us, and I will see you guys on the other side. Hey everybody, I am glad to have on the line with me tonight, Scott Davis with Urban Hunting. And Scott is actually the founder of UrbanHunting.net, but he also has a show that's on in the Nashville area that is the Urban Hunter. Is that the right name? Urban Hunting Scott? TV. Urban, Urban Hunting, Hunting TV. TV. Is the name of it. Yep. Okay. Sorry about that. So Urban Sorry. Hunting TV. And I met Scott at the NWTF convention a few weeks ago. We were both in the media social that the NWTF was hosting and sat down next to him and started chatting and found out what he does and told him that I'd actually had a few listeners contact me and want to have a show on this very topic. So everything just worked out great. The cards fell into place. Scott agreed to come on the show, and I'm very thankful for that. And Scott, how are you today, and where are you? I'm doing doing well, Andy. Thank you so much first for uh, having me on the show and wanting to talk about urban hunting. It's something Absolutely. that's near and dear to my heart. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you were 
pretty fired up about it and well, fired up enough to have a show. Yeah, first and foremost, I'm fired up about hunting. You know, grew up in the outdoors. I've been in Nashville, Tennessee for the last 22 years, but uh, originally from Louisiana. And, you know, everybody in Louisiana, you're born with a gun in your hand or a rod and reel, you know. That's right. Well, good deal. Well, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got into turkey hunting. Well, you know, turkeys, having been in Louisiana as a kid, I grew up there and went to all through my formative years of uh, growing up into my mid-20s. When I was in high school, I did a lot of reading in Outdoor Life. That used to be the magazine, man. I loved it. Couldn't wait for the monthly issue of Outdoor Life to come out. Oh, and in yeah. Louisiana in the early 80s, because of all the flooding, they had shut turkey season down for a couple of years around where we lived in central Louisiana. But they had talked about opening it back up. They had restocked it and were getting ready to open up a new turkey season, you know, another season for turkey. And so uh, I got interested in wanting to turkey hunt. I'd seen a few while I was deer hunting, and that spring was coming up. And so I was reading Outdoor Life about turkey hunting. I just got intrigued with it. And so I started asking questions. You know, we didn't have the Internet then, so you had to go to the library. You had to read every outdoor magazine you get your hands on. Right. And taught myself, got a turkey call, and taught myself how to call turkeys. And me and my brother went turkey hunting that spring and killed it. Probably the biggest gobbler I've ever killed was the first one I killed. It had 11 and a half inch beard, weighed 23 pounds, and I was hooked. I was like, man, this is pretty awesome stuff to be out in the spring. You know, everybody else is white perch fishing. I was turkey hunting. Yeah, it'll get in your blood. There's no doubt about it. Well, I'm sure there's a few people out there listening to the show that are asking themselves a question, what is urban hunting? And is kind of what it sounds like, but can you explain what urban hunting is and how and when you first got the idea to start doing it? Yeah, well, like I said, I transplanted from uh, Louisiana to Tennessee and living in Davidson County proper, which is where Nashville's at. Mm-hmm. I was living in the city. First time I'd lived in a city that big, and, you know, so I was working every day, but I hadn't, the first couple of years I was here, didn't hunt much unless I went back home. And I guess I was here about three years, and I was driving through a neighborhood, one of the suburbs, and I saw a white-tailed doe standing under a swing set, and this primal urge kicked in, and, man, I got to figure out how to hunt that, you know. And so uh, I started trying to learn the game laws and just reading up on the Tennessee wildlife regulations. And they're a lot like everywhere else. You know, you can't shoot from the road, a lot of different things like that. But in Tennessee, Adjutant General of the state actually put out a statement. You can Google it and find it. But as long as you're legally hunting, you're legally licensed, you have permission to hunt on the property, and you're carrying yourself in an ethical manner, then gun laws do not supersede your right to hunt. So, you know, if you're hunting with, oh. a, with a normal weapon like a shotgun or a muzzleloader, you know, you wouldn't hunt with a high-powered rifle in, in the city. But as right. long as you're legally equipped, you have your license, you have permission to hunt, you're over 300 feet from the closest dwelling, then you can hunt. And tremendous amount of woodlots, you know, there's a lot of subdivisions that have two to three acres with each house. Some have as many as five acres with a house. Right. There's always woodlots, you know, with city planners today, they're wanting greenways and different things like that. Well, wildlife is adaptable. Whitetails, squirrels, turkeys, they are adaptable. They, as long as there's a food source and there's safety, they're going to find a place to live. Yep. So that's kind of mm-hmm. how I got started, you know. And so, and really just researching that and looking at making sure I was legal, then I started trying to find property owners. And, you know, that's one thing with technology that I do is, like, with an iPhone, it's amazing how you can – I spend so much time driving around the cities, you know, and looking at property and, and scouting. And if I see an animal, so like say I see a nice buck or I see a white-tailed doe or I see a turkey, then I'm going to stop and I'm going to look on my map on that phone and put it on satellite view and see what the property looks like around there. 
and then I can take and, and hit that for an address and log that address in. Then later, when I'm back at the house, I can get on the Internet and go to the county website, and I can look up all the property records. I can find out who owns that property, what the telephone number is, you know, and how to get in touch with those people. And so a lot of that, I just do I do scouting, you know, just driving through neighborhoods, looking and finding who property owners are and trying to pick out places to hunt, find new locations. Yeah. Well, once you identify that and you get in touch with the landowner, What's your approach as far as getting permission to hunt those urban plots that you find? You know, there's a lot of different avenues. One of the best places I have to hunt, I say my premier place to hunt, I got up early one, I couldn't sleep. I got up early one Saturday morning, you know, say July. I went and got a cup of coffee at the gas station and was just kind of driving around looking. And I'd seen a a nice buck not far from this uh, property, but I saw a man who was across the street from his house in his garden. He had an electric fence up around his garden, so I just pulled over, and I went over there and started talking with him and introduced myself, you know. And it's about 6.30 in the morning, one Saturday morning, kind of foggy, and we just got to talking, and he started telling me about the fact. I asked him if he did any deer hunt. He said, no, he didn't do any deer hunt, but he had gone to the TWRA and gotten a depredation permit. That There were so many deer around there that were getting into his garden that he wasn't, he didn't like deer hunting during the winter, but they gave him a depredation permit to shoot every deer he could see, whether it was in season or not. And he said, you know, he said, I've been after him a whole year, and I've seen one deer at 3 o'clock in the morning. I shot at him with buckshot, and I don't even know if I hit him. I said, well, sir, you know, I think that's something I can help you with. <laughs> and so we talked for about another 45 minutes about his garden and just about, you know, what I could do to help him. And he gave me permission to hunt on that small piece of property. And, you know, I killed 12 deer off there that fall. Just from that, helping him with his garden and so forth it built a great relationship and like i said i was just driving around saw the gentleman in his garden and thought i'd stop and talk and just kind of was friendly every conversation has not gone that well and sometimes it's just i was in home depot one time was sitting there talking with a with a guy i was in the lumber section and talking with a guy he was telling me i was showing a friend of mine i was with a picture of a turkey i killed and i don't know if he overheard us talking but he said man let me see that picture and so we got to talking and he had some property not far from there and had wildlife on it and he ended up giving me permission to hunt on it to come out there and see if i could kill a turkey or two off his place but you know so it's not always the same thing And, and what i find too is a lot of it has to do with when you approach. A lot of times, like right. if I'm driving around on Sunday afternoon, Sunday afternoon is a great time. After church, 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, most people have gotten their naps over. They're either sitting on their porch or they're out in their yard working. Mm-hmm. And there's been numerous times just driving around, looking at property, just the normal haunt, haunts and, and ways that I go scouting. I'll catch people out in their yard or sitting on their porch and come up and just start a conversation with them, talking, you know, and it's not always about getting permission to hunt. It's going to end up right. there, but it's not the first question out of my mouth, you know. And so I think a lot of it has to do with how you approach. And, you know, the other thing, too, is say, for example, you get in a conversation with somebody and you start mentioning about wildlife and so forth. It doesn't take long. It's like anything with sales. It doesn't take long before you can start reading people and and really get a feel for whether or not they're pro-hunting or not. So Mm -hmm. they don't even have to be a hunter to be pro-hunting. They can just be, you know, the average person, and they understand the hunter-gatherer thing. They either grew up around it or they had an uncle that hunted. And so you just try to build relationship, build camaraderie with those people. Right. Yeah. And I think that's something that we all have pretty much run across at one point in time or another, and that is that not everybody's a hunter. They're not. There are far more people who are not against hunting than there are who are against hunting. Right. And so I think that finding those people who are neutral to it or impartial to it, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good a good opportunity. And that's probably the majority of the people you run across, isn't it, are the people who are... It is. And, you know, for me, 
some of it has to do, like I said, with how you present yourself. I don't draw a lot of attention to myself. Yes, I have a TV show. Yes, we film everything. We're out in the city. People know we're out in the city. I'm well-known around here as the urban hunter, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But as far as me going out hunting, you would have you would have no indication that I was hunting if you drove by, if you saw me on the side of the road. You no, know, if I was in Louisiana and I drove down the road and I saw a four wheel drive with camo and shotguns in the back or a trailer with a four wheeler behind it, I would know that they were hunting. For right. me, most of the time I'm hunting in a sedan in a car, and a lot of times I'm not going to get out of a vehicle with camo on. I'm going to carry everything in a backpack. I'm never going to flash a gun. If I'm talking to people about hunting or wanting to get permission to hunt, I'm going to be dressed like in, in business casual with a pair of khaki dockers on, short sleeve shirt. You know, I'm just going to be the average guy that comes along that's in your grandmother's sedan. It's not mm -hmm. going to be like I'm pulling up in a brand new four-wheel drive and I've got guns hanging in the back rack. To me, there's an, there's an image there when you're hunting in the city. There's an image that you have to kind of portray so that you don't have those preconceived notions, so to speak. You don't, you never right. want to, I don't believe you want anybody to paint you before they see you as, oh, this is what this conversation is fixing to be about. What happens then is they, they make a lot of presumed assumptions. And so for me, it, it's about being a steward. It's about taking care of their property, you know. I always want to see things better than I found it. And the other thing, too, if somebody gives me permission to hunt, like I tell them, unless you see my vehicle out there, you're never going to know I'm on the property. Right. Because... I do most of my hunting out of a car. And the last thing I want is somebody driving down the road. Here's a couple of things to think about. Think about this in the city when, you, when you're trying to be incognito, so to speak. Say, for example, somebody drives by and they're not pro hunting and they see you with a gun. In the city, that's going to create hysteria. You'd never think anything out on the, in the countryside about seeing somebody with a firearm. You would automatically right. assume they're hunting. In the city, it's a total different mindset. Most urbanites are scared to death guns. They haven't been around them. They don't have experience with them. So what happens is if somebody sees you get out of a vehicle with a gun, if they're not a hunter, if they're not pro-hunting, now you have an issue because they're going to be asking questions as opposed to just being incognito and not drawing attention to yourself. On the other hand, you get out and you got camo on and you got, you're carrying a gun and somebody drives by that, that maybe they grew up hunting kind of like I did, but they haven't thought about hunting. Now you have competition. So now you have someone else asking to hunt on that piece of property. Or if it's like we have some TWRA places, some local game reserves, now you've just created a, a neon flashing sign that says, oh, I never thought about hunting deer here. There must be some deer there. I saw somebody getting out with a, with a muzzleloader or with a boat. And so yeah. to, to me, those are things that you want to be very aware of. I enjoy the sport of hunting. I'm passionate about it. There's a lot of wildlife to hunting cities, but at the same time, you have to be very aware of who might see you and what attention you might draw to yourself. Yeah. What do you typically do as far as your firearm or bow is concerned in, in getting that out of the vehicle? I assume you keep it in a case or you keep something draped over it? I will. Uh, it depends on how you park. Now, in a car, to me, you always want to park going against traffic. So, like, if you're driving on the right-hand side of the road, you want to park on the left. That way you can get out of the door of your vehicle and get right into the woods without drawing a lot of attention to yourself, as opposed to parking where you have to walk around the vehicle. Or you park mm -hmm. and you wait till there's no traffic. You know, there's a game reserve here in the city that I hunt, and there's a lot of neighborhoods around there, parts of the game reserve that are not owned by people, you know, that outside the suburbs of cul-de-sacs and so forth. 
mm-hmm. then that's legal to hunt all everything around Percy Priest Lake. The issue is it's highly populated, so it's archery and muzzleloader only. And then you, like I said, you have to continue to be safe. You have to make sure you're shooting in the right direction if you're hunting with a muzzleloader. But it's great bow hunting. So at the same yeah. time, because there have been times where, like, say for example, I shot a, I killed a deer at nine o'clock in the morning, and I'm trying to get him out of the woods. Everybody in the world is going to work between eight and ten in the morning. I mean, it might be a mm-hmm. steady flow of traffic. So it's just things you have to be aware of like that. Yeah. I can only imagine if you ever wanted to really get in a disagreement or an argument with somebody, I think dragging a deer out to the road when that anti-hunter drives by is probably setting yourself up for a little bit of a disagreement, isn't it? Well, and that's the thing is you're going to call unnecessary attention. And, you know, it's like I said, it's not going to help me enjoy hunting anymore if I have to deal with that. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Now, when you get permission from the landowners to hunt their Their piece of property, do you typically try to establish some sort of exclusivity, like by a short-term or long-term lease or something like that? You know, I've never had to lease a piece of property here. Generally, when I get permission, I'm the only one that has permission. Nobody, they either haven't given anybody else permission, or I'm the only one that they're giving permission to hunt that season. I've never had an issue where that came up where I got permission to hunt and found somebody else hunting the property. And it's hard to get a lease. Most people that I come across with, they don't want to lease anything to you where they're tied up. They want to be able to have the ability to say, no, you can't hunt, or yes, you can. Right. Because yeah. with that lease, um, they lose some of their power over what they can have control of, so to speak. Oh, that would be my perception. Yeah. When you're talking to them to ask them about hunting, do you typically tell them how you approach Oh yeah, hunting yeah, a piece I, I, of property to, like that? Yeah, I try to really reassure them, you know, that either it's all archery or either I'm hunting with a muzzleloader. A lot of times, unless they ask, it's just about getting entry to the property, you know. Where can I park? Right. You know, how much property do you have? Where are the property lines at? You know, I'll be out here on Saturdays. You may, I may be out here on a morning during the week or an afternoon. Some people want you to call before you come out. Most of them don't. Most of them give you permission. They're going to tell you where you can park your car. And from there, I really assure them of the fact they're not going to see any dead animals in their yard. They're not going to see me dragging an animal out in view where they have to see the animal, you know, after it's been harvested. I'm going to do everything I can to keep that to keep that part of it out of their sight. Now, after season's over and I've had meat processed and all that, I'm going to bring them some gift packs. You know, I'm going to bring them some venison if they want jerky or they want summer sausage or whatever they like to eat if they like to eat it, then I'm going to make sure they're well taken care of. Right. You know, and some people, yeah, that... like they'd rather have fish, you know. So you just bring on a mess of fish deer two or three times during a year, and those things go a long way. Yeah, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you is what you do to maintain that relationship with the landowner so that you can get permission to hunt there again next year. And I would imagine it's probably not much different than those of us who are in sales taking care of our best customers so that we continue to get business from them. It is, you know, a Christmas card, yeah. just dropping by, and sometimes just dropping by speaking like the guy with the garden. Stop by and speak with him three or four times a year, catch him out, you know, early in the morning. It's just a great time to have a conversation. You visit, help them out, do something around their place like that. Just a number of things you can do just being neighborly. Right. So as far as turkey hunting goes, mm-hmm. what do you typically look for as far as the size of a piece of property? What's the smallest piece of property you've turkey hunted? Smallest piece would probably be about five acres. You can hunt smaller pieces, but I'd like a lot of running and gunning. So, you know, Mm -hmm. if I can get out and I have access, sometimes a piece of private property backs up to the wildlife management area or either some public property, then you got a little bit more space, but you're still hunting on the property that you have access to. A lot of it depends on whether you can catch a bird roosting, if they're coming off, or what time of the day they're coming through. You know, a lot of times a landowner knows that kind of stuff. Landowner sees them at a certain time, and you're just trying to pattern them. Yeah. 
What do you do as far as scouting? I mean, do you treat it any differently than you would, say, a 1,000-acre or 2,000-acre hunting lease that somebody might have? Yeah, there are some different things there now. As far as hunting property in the city, it's really no different than hunting anything else. You're really concerned about windage, which direction right. the wind's going from. You're concerned about stand set up. What I focus on on properties is how do I get to that stand without disrupting the animals that are on the property? If they're bedding there or if it's a feeding area, how do I get to where I can hunt without having to walk across any trails? And then at the same time, you know, what is the temperature? What's the weather? One of the things I find, and we'll talk deer hunting for a minute, and this when I'm deer hunting in the city, is watching the temperature. You know, in the wintertime, if it's cold, nobody is going to be outside. Kids are going to get off the school bus. They're going to go straight in the house. But if mm-hmm. it's, say, if it's up in November and it's prime rut and it's 60 degrees one afternoon, everybody and their brother be out working in the yard, raking leaves, playing in the yard. It's going to be noise around in the neighborhood. You're basically not going to see anything. But if it's 30 degrees or colder, there's just not going to be anybody outside. It's very quiet in the wintertime. And so I really watch the weather like that. And it's depending on where the wind's blowing or how often I've hunted a particular property, I will move from property to property. So a lot of those things factors play into it. That's what I was going to ask you. Are you covering a lot more pieces of property during turkey season because the birds are either there or they're not? That is correct. Yeah, if the birds are there, if you're finding sign or if you've seen them, you've heard them roost in the evening. That's going to depend on what property you hunt. But, yeah, you've got to have a lot of property because turkeys, you know, they will migrate a lot more than a deer will. They're going to cover some ground. If they've got pressure, they're going to move. And you've got to have access to a number of pieces of property in order to really get after them. That doesn't mean that you've got to have 100 pieces of property, but you want some options. Right. I've got a good friend that lives in Virginia, and he's got permission to hunt several smaller parcels like that that are 20, 30, 40 acres. Mm -hmm. And he'll pull up and park in somebody's driveway he'll sit there and if the bird's gobbling that morning and it's on that piece of property that he has permission to hunt he'll get out and hunt and if it's not then he gets back in his vehicle and he moves on and checks the next one right right he has success doing it that way too i think we get wrapped up a lot of times especially us southern hunters who are in hunting clubs that are right. 500 to 5,000 acres in size. You know, we think we have to hunt these huge pieces of property, but we don't. Right. You know, it's nice to have access to that. In my situation, oh, yeah. I don't have access to that. So my next thing was, you know, how in the world do I enjoy this thing I grew up doing that I still want to stay connected to? And so, right. like I said, it took some research, took some time. You know, the worst thing, one of the things you get to get over is the whole mental thing of, uh-oh, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to get put in jail doing something that I'm legally licensed. Sure to do so just trying to make sure you're abiding by the laws and doing everything right that's the biggest part of it right well that's one thing about me when i'm driving to my hunting camp down in southwest alabama is it's two hours from my front door to the front gate and so lord only knows how many turkeys i drive by (laughs) right and that two hour drive 135 miles to get there you know and and it just drives me crazy and I, i see turkeys right here within a half mile of my house. Right. So something that obviously I'm taking a little interest in here in this conversation because if I can work my way in on a piece or two of that property where I'm seeing these birds in the springtime, it's, that'd be awfully nice to wake up one morning at five minutes before gobbling time and be in the woods with a gun in my hand and hunting a goblin turkey. Yeah, it, so. it just increases your opportunities to get out. Yeah. What's the largest piece of land there near the city that you got permission to hunt? 
I think the largest piece is about 15 acres. It was that piece with the garden. The guy lives right there on it, but it backs up to a lot more public property. And so there's a lot of wildlife around there. Right. It just happens to be centrally located. It's a good place to hunt. And I do a lot of things to cultivate it during the year, put a little food plot on it here and there. And in Tennessee, mm-hmm. you can't bait, but what you can do is in and out of season, you can supplement feed. And so as long as the feed food is gone before season, you know, you're not feeding during season, you can do things to draw them in. All those right. things are legal, you know, do food plots, do supplement feeding, putting out salt blocks, putting out mineral licks, those type things. All those things are going to increase your odds in keeping game there close. Yeah. I want to ask you a follow-up question on the whole angle of getting permission from these landowners to hunt. Uh-huh. You mentioned rolling in on a Sunday afternoon is a great time to do that and, you know, being dressed in maybe a golf shirt or, right. you know, something casual. You don't want to show up in a suit, I wouldn't imagine. But you also, I would imagine, don't want to show up in camo, do you? I, I just think it has, you know, it's just a personal opinion. And the, the numbers of times that I've stopped talking with people, I just find that it has a lot to do with my demeanor. How I think how I'm dressed has a lot to do with it. And then at the mm-hmm. same time, because you never, like I said, you never know whether you're talking to a pro hunter or not. I assume that people are okay with hunting, but I know that, you know, it's all about image and what you present. So a non-assuming image, not just coming out, hey, can I hunt here? You know, I saw I saw a 10-point buck. I want to get out there and kill him, blow him, blow him up. Yeah. You got you just got to be a little bit more sensitive to that. And so it's not that you're not you're, you're trying to trick them, you're just trying to have a conversation with them so you can get access and they don't find you coming on too aggressively or you just don't want to do anything to offend them. That's my that's my stance on it. I want to be their friend. I want to know they can count on me and they can trust what I tell them. And the ultimate goal though is I want access to hunt that piece of property. Right. I think it has a lot to do, especially in in the urban setting. I think it has a lot to do with how you present yourself. Well, let's do this, if you don't mind. Yeah. I'm gonna. I want to do something I haven't done on okay. the on the show before. Let's role play for a second. All right. Probably longer than a second. Probably right. a few minutes. But let's say I've got a piece of property that you hunt nearby. You know, there's deer on my piece of property and uh-huh. let's let's go with turkeys this turkey season and this is a turkey hunting podcast let's forget about deer for a second so you you've seen turkeys in the area right and you know that i've got 20 acres in that area and you uh-huh. happen to see me out one afternoon mm-hmm. out in the yard and you pull in and walk me through what that conversation might go like okay hey how y'all doing today good how are you i'm doing good i see you working in your flower bed Oh, yeah. Man, it's nonstop. It's like another job. Man, I tell you what, the springtime is a great time for pansies, isn't it? It is. The dang critters keep eating them, but that's, I guess, just part of it. Yeah, I know. I come by here all the time. Joe Evans down the street here. You know know who Joe is? I do. I do. I've known Joe for several years. Yeah, he and I go to church together. I ran into him at church the other day, and we were talking, but uh, I'm over at Joe's place a lot. You know, boy, Joe's got some nice property over there. He does. That's a beautiful piece of property. He does. You know, man, it is loaded with wildlife. Uh, have you seen turkeys that come across here from his place? Oh, yeah. We have, we have turkeys come through here. I'm not going to say all the time, but we, we see them a pretty good bit. There was one out on the side of the road a couple of days ago. Yeah. Joe's got about 25 acres. How much property do you have here? I've got 20. 20 acres. Well, that's a good chunk yeah. right there. What do, you, what do you do to manage it during the year? Uh, you mean like cutting grass and maintaining it? Is that what you're Well, more or less, talk- just kind of, you know, do you do you know who has access to it? Do you walk walk property pretty regular to check it out? Do you have anybody that looks the property for you? No, I don't. I don't really have anybody that does that. You know, I usually get out and get around it on the weekends, and I'd say probably over a couple of weeks' time, I, I probably cover 
at least the the boundary on it. You know, I may walk one side of it one day and come back a, the next week and walk the other half or, you know, something like that. But no, I, I, nobody's really taking care of it. Joe down the street a couple of years ago, he had a bad problem with people getting on his property. You know, he's got those fields in the back. So what I did, he gave me permission to start looking at it. And I do some hunting over there, and I do some deer hunting in the fall, and I turkey hunting in the spring. But that's one of the things I do for him is I make sure that the property's in place. You know, if his fences are down, I'll let him know that, hey, somebody came on it and do that for him. So is that something you ever, you ever had anybody look at your property like that, try to help you take care of it? I have not. My my son a few years ago hunted a little bit, but he's just not he's just not into it. And uh, so no, I I haven't I hadn't really even thought about even letting anybody come out here to hunt. Yeah, it's not well, even you, crossed my mind as such a small piece of property. Oh, it's bad. You know, twenty acres is a lot of property. I mean, it doesn't take much for wildlife growing like with your flowers here. There's many deer here. They're going to be interested in nibbling on them. Oh yeah, you're right about that. I have a hard time keeping the pansies in the ground. With the <laughs> yeah, deer. You know, I'm out at Joe's place a lot, and I and I hunt over there. You know, if you ever have any issues with animals in your property, or if you know if you didn't mind giving me permission to hunt, I'd love to look after it for you. Well, I tell you what, I'm not going to tell you no. I probably like to talk to Joe first and see what he has to say, but I, I'm not going to say no to you. Well, yeah, that, tell him. Yeah, well, tell him Scott Davis told you to give him a call. I'd love to have access to your property. You can talk to him, you know, you can ask him about how I treat it and so forth. And, you know, here, let me give you, i got a business card on me here. Let me leave you a card here. If you change your mind, it's okay with you. Just give me a call. I'll come back out. We'll talk about it. I'll let you know what I plan on doing. You know, I usually hunt archery hunt. So, you know, for deer and, of course, turkey, you know, I do mostly shotgun. But, you know, I'm very safe and ethical in what we do. You know, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, yeah, that'll be great. Well, I'll I'll get your card and give you a buzz back and after I talk to Joe and we'll see if we might be able to work something out for you. Well, I appreciate it very much. Hey, you have a good afternoon, man. Thanks for taking your time talking with me. Yes, sir. I appreciate you running through the role playing there. I think a lot of people really don't even know where to start. Right. And then once you get started, how do you bridge that gap and I may have set it up too easy for you, but when you mentioned pansies, and I know me just being a homeowner and being a hunter, I know right. how much deer love pansies. Right. And so I probably made it real easy for you to bridge that gap and start talking about wildlife, but that was the first thing that came to my mind. Well, <laughs> that's, what you, that, that's what you're trying to do. You're just trying to lead them down a path, more or less, so that you can build that bridge. You know, you want to bring up something that they're doing or see something in their yard to compliment them on. And like I said, it's all about building a relationship. they got to know who you are and know that you're real, you know. Right. I appreciate you doing that. That was hopefully give a few people some insight as to where to go with that conversation. And, you know, it's odd doing a role playing thing like that for a lot of people, but shoot, you run through it in your head before you have conversations with people all the time. You may as well, for you guys out there, practice with your wives or practice with your kids and have them turn the table on you. You Have them be an anti-hunter. How are you going to handle an anti-hunter? Because at some point you're going to run across one, aren't you? Well, see, I, and that's that's a good point right there. I remember talking to a guy. He had a farm. He had about 75 acres, and it was turkeys. And I had to, I, I really took a chance one afternoon. I couldn't, he had his gate locked. So, well, I'm just going to walk through here and stroll and act like I'm a hiker and see if I can get up to his house. So I did. I just walked down his lane, and I got up there, and he was out in his garage there tinkering around with the vehicle. So I started, you know, said, hey, how you doing? And 
he was kind of startled, and I said, well, you know, I was just trying to see if anybody was home. I've been trying to get a hold of the homeowner, and he said, well, that's me. And so I just started a conversation with him talking, and we started talking cars. And so during the time while we were talking, you know, I mentioned to him, and he, I think his daughter was out there too, I mentioned if he had asked him if he'd seen any turkeys. And he's like, oh, yeah, I love the turkeys that come here. We feed them. And so then he led. He said, well, you know, I have people come here want to hunt my turkeys all the time. I just love looking at them, and I don't want anybody hunt. Well, immediately, in my mind, I went, okay. I don't need to ask that question to hunt. Right. So then I steered the conversation in a different direction. I said, well, man, I'm sorry to bother you. You know, I'm going to excuse myself and walk back out this way and go back out. But if you find people and you're having conversations with them and you pick up on that, you need to respect that. I think that's the right thing to do. Yeah, I agree with you. Last thing Tell I me. want to do is make an enemy. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. You never know when you're going to run across that person again. And the other thing, too, I would imagine you've had people tell you no this year and oh. – you see them out somewhere, or, or they find out that you got permission to hunt Joe's property down the street, and they call you back and say, you know what, I've about had it. The dang deer have been in my pansies, or the turkeys have been eating all my bird seed, or have beat up my cat or my dog or whatever, and I want you to come over here and see if you can help me out. I'll tell you a funny story. I had a lady call me one time, and I had talked to her about deer hunting. And she didn't want me to deer hunt. So she called me one spring. She said, I need you to come help me. I said, well, what's wrong? She said, I got these big old birds, and they're scratching up my flower bed. And there's one of them out here. <laughs> he just won't leave these birds. It's a big old Tom, and he was chasing those hens around her, around her yard. Uh -huh. And so she called me and wanted me to come take care of that big Tom because he was just harassing those, tur those hens so much. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah. I said, well, I, I think I can solve your problem, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, ended up, I ended up shooting a big old gobbler that, that weekend. That's awesome. That is awesome. What's the biggest turkey you killed on a piece of property right there pretty close well, to the city? The biggest one I've killed has three-quarter-inch spurs and a 10-inch beard, about 21 pounds. And, you know, but they grow bigger than that. There's some guys kill 25, 26-pound birds around here. You know, your yeah. two-and-a-half-year-old bird is going to have about three-quarter-inch spurs and nine to 11-inch beard, and they're going to be the ones gobbling most of the time anyway. Every now and then, you're going to get one of those big boys that after those two-and-a-half-year-olds are out, you're going to be able to get him in. Yeah, I know it's going to be a big issue with deer, too, but especially with turkeys with their vision the way it is. But what kind of obstacles do you find? with urban hunting and people's pets and the neighbors and that kind of thing with turkey hunting? With turkey hunting, the biggest obstacle I find is that they get hung up on a fence or a road. I haven't okay. had that many many issues with, like, cats or dogs, not during turkey season. Now, during deer season, I've had some issues with dogs. But mm -hmm. as far as turkey hunting, it's really the fence and the roads, not so much creeks. Like, I've had them hung up on the other side of a road, and I couldn't get them to cross the road, and I didn't have access to that property. For whatever right. reason, they wouldn't cross it. Now, I've had turkeys cross roads, but those those two particular gobblers wouldn't do it that day. And that seems to be the biggest issue. All right. That, I think, is, you know, what I could see being a pretty big issue there. you got mm -hmm. one goblin over on the neighbor's property, and, yeah, you've got a fence in, in the way. So right. something you definitely got to think about and be careful of, sure. A lot of it, too, especially if you have time. And even if one's gobbling, it's just being patient. You may have to sit there two or three hours because it may be a couple of hours while he has something else on his mind or he services another hen, and then he switches switches sides of the road, and he's where you can hunt him. So a lot of it just takes some time sometimes, especially with turkey hunting. If I've got all day, I'm going to be out there in the woods trying to do something. Right. Well, tell us the story of your most recent successful urban turkey hunt and one or two of the things that really helped to make that hunt a success for you. I think one of the most memorable hunts was it was an early spring hunt last year. I went out there. It had been nice most of the day. So I hit it about 3 o'clock that afternoon. 
and I got out there, and the weather turned off. It clouded up, and a front came in, and it started. I'd been calling probably about 20 minutes, got my decoy set up, and it started sleeting. It sleeted for about 30 minutes, and I'm sitting there, and I'm going, man, I'm, I might as well just pack it up and go home for the day. You know, they're going to be roosted here shortly. Because I had about the third time I'd been out, I was like, no, I'm just going to stay with it. And so uh, I picked up the decoys, and I went around the, around the curve of the road there over the hill, and I saw some hens down in the draw. And so I set back up, put my decoys back up, and when I hit the call, well, a big old gobbler boom. I had two of them come in. It took about 10 minutes. They came into the decoy, and I killed one with about a 10-and-a-half-inch beard. I just, as one of those things, I was like, you know what? It's sleeting. I'm not going to get a turkey to gobble, but I just stayed with it. And once once it quit sleeting, it didn't get any any warmer, but uh, evidently right. I was between them and where they wanted to roost. And that was just a great yeah. hunt that afternoon, just to be able to stick with it after I had gotten out there. I was looking so forward to hunting. It's been such a beautiful day. And I uh, got out there and hadn't been out there long, and it started sleeting. <laughs> but I just stayed with it, that's, you know. Yeah, I think that's key in a lot of hunts. One of the things me and my hunting buddies talk about all the time is turkey hunting is filled with highs and lows, and you just don't ever know when one of those highs is, is going to hit. Right. Another another memorable hunt I had, I was, and I didn't kill anything, but I was set up one afternoon on this piece of property, and I was calling. I had my decoy set up, and I saw something move about 75 yards out in front of me, and it was a hen. And that hen came all the way to me. Now I'm sitting there, I hadn't moved. That hen came all the way to me and got with it about five yards and walked a complete circle around me. And then she went out to the decoys, and she walked around the decoys, and she came back and got almost to me and flew up in a tree above me and stayed up there for about 20 minutes. I didn't think that turkey that turkey was ever going to leave so I could get up and move, you know. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't believe I don't know if she just was trying to locate that hen or locate what was making that, you know, calling. But it was about a half-grown, I, I don't even know if it was maybe a year and a half old, about a half-grown hen, you know. She just got yeah. all over the top of me there. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, that that's one of those that'll make you hurt from not moving. Right. Not being able to move. Well, that's great. Well, Scott, man, I appreciate you taking time out of your evening to talk to me about this and educate me because, like I said, in the Birmingham area, at least around these suburbs, there's a lot of deer and there are a lot of turkeys around here. We have a state park that's not, with no traffic, it literally is a 15-minute drive at the most to downtown Birmingham, and it is a source of a lot of wildlife in that part of the city. And so I think there's plenty of opportunities around to hunt some birds, and it's just a matter of figuring out the best way to approach it and get, get with those landowners, and I think you've really helped. Well, I know you've really helped me, and I'm sure you're going to really help a lot of listeners out there be able to approach this the right way and and do some research as well to know that they can get out there and hunt legally yes. and do it all the right way. Well, I'll give you a couple couple of pointers now when you do it. And once again, like I said, the, the iPhone can be your friend. Get on there on your maps and get it to satellite so you can see the terrain and get the address for where you locate that bird or where you're looking at hunting. And then most most counties, most cities have a database that you can go to on the city website and find out who the property owner is in those areas where you can get that contact information. And so it's amazing how much scouting I can do with my phone and things you never thought about 20 years ago when we were growing up, who would have looked at their phone to try to scout and see what a piece of property looked like, you know? <laughs> but it's it's pretty neat technology. It is. It's amazing technology. And you can pull up that GIS website and yeah. just what you said, you can find the owner of that piece of property and you can definitely get to them. Now, when you when you do that, though, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going to jump back in and ask you another question before I do cut you loose. When you do that, are you you typically want to get in front of that person 
more yes. so than try to call them or send them a letter or something like that, don't you? That is correct. Generally, generally face-to-face, that's been my most successful method of getting that access is face-to-face. It's just yeah. really, though, trying to figure out, sometimes just trying to figure out who the neighbor is, who, what, who, who you might know on the other side. It's all about really trying to find out who owns it and how do I get access to that person. Yeah. But face-to-face yeah. is definitely the, that, that's the way to go. Good deal. Yeah, I found it really for everything that I do is much harder for someone to tell you no when you're looking them in the eye than it is over the telephone or by them getting a piece of mail from you. Right. That is true. That is true. I agree with that. Well, before I do cut you loose and let you get to dinner, Uh tell tell us a little bit about your show, when it's on, where people can find it. Is it online for us? Yeah. who are not in Nashville. Yeah, you can go online. You can go. You can get on Google, and you can Google Scott Davis, Urban Hunting TV, and it'll pull up two or three pages. It'll pull up my YouTube channel. We're on the NECAT Network here in Nashville. It airs in the 19-county Middle Tennessee area. serves about 400,000 households. And it's all we go different places hunting, different cities, but it's all about hunting in the city. And we give some helpful tips on there about turkey hunting, deer hunting. We've done some squirrel hunting. I'm trying to think oh, something yeah. like duck hunting there also. Like I said, you can go find me at urbanhunting.net and it's got the station on there all, a lot of the promo videos we do and so forth and all that information is online and if you go to the network site it streams 24 7 and we're on six times a week saturday morning sunday morning two times on tuesday night and early wednesday morning our prime time is wednesday at six but that that's, okay. we're on comcast channel 19 and attu verse 99 here in the middle tennessee area Fantastic. And all that information is on your website as well, isn't it? The yeah, channels the front, and the air times. On the front page, when you log on at the bottom, is network logo. Just click on it. It'll take you to all the episodes. Okay. And yeah. if somebody listening to the show wants to catch up with you, if they have a question for you that I didn't cover, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Is that through the website as well? Through the website or email, scott.davis at urbanhunting.net. Man, that's awesome. Are you on Facebook and Twitter and on, all those other places? Yeah, you can go on Facebook at Urban Hunting TV and connect with us. Uh, Twitter is the original Urban Hunter. That's Instagram, the original Urban Hunter, and you can connect with me there. Good deal. And we do a lot of giveaways and different things. We just had a DVD come out with Cedar Hill Game Calls, turkey hunting, deer mm-hmm. hunting, bow fishing. We do a, little, do a little bit of all of it. Fantastic. Well, I know there's going to be a lot of people interested in this, and hopefully – They'll go on over and check out your videos that you have on the website and check out that DVD as well. So, Scott, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge about urban hunting, and I can definitely tell your passion about it. And <laughs> yeah, My, my uh, wife thinks I'm a little too passionate about it, but, you know, you got to love something. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Mine's lost all hope for me, so. Well, it's like I, like I say, you never have to wonder where I'm at. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Well, man, thank you again. I'm going to let you get to dinner, and I will okay. talk to you again sometime soon. And That'd be we'll awesome. Maybe do a whole episode on talking to landowners about getting permission from them. Yeah, we can do that. I appreciate you putting me on this week. That's awesome, Andy. Thank you so much. Glad to do it, Scott. Thank you. Have a great night. We'll talk again soon. All right. You too. Thank you, sir. All right. Yes. Goodbye. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed that and gained some really useful info and tips that might inspire you to find a few turkey hunting spots close to your home or your office. I'm going to be doing a little bit of research along those lines myself. All right, before I move on, I want to thank you guys for listening to this podcast. Every year I set a goal of the number of downloads that I want the show to achieve at a given point. 
that given point for me is usually April because turkey season's in full swing, and that's when we have the most downloads of podcast episodes, typically. So my goal for April of 2016 was to hit 10,000 downloads for the month. Well, we actually broke 10,000 and almost hit 11,000 for the month of February, a short month as well. So I just want to say thank you to you guys. I appreciate each and every one of you out there listening, and I always enjoy hearing from you as well. So don't hesitate to reach out to me if you think I can do something to help you out. Okay, that's all I have for you guys today. If you learned something on today's show, then do me a favor and leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Also, please forward and share this show on social media. That is a huge help for me. And don't forget to subscribe to the show. Subscribing to this show will cost you exactly zero dollars and zero cents. But by doing so, you'll be notified when a new episode is uploaded. And that right there, that in and of itself is well worth the cost of subscribing to the show. Last but not least, be sure to tune in next week as I'll have Keith Beam with Drake's Adventures on the show to chat with us about turkey hunting from a ground blind. It's a very informative and very entertaining episode that you will not want to miss. Again, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices, and I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.